Today's guest is Sarah Lord. In a job as Senior Vice President at Concord Music Publishing, Sarah oversees the sync teams all around the world. She's done an awful lot of things in the music industry. She managed bands Top Loader and Reef, and also Tom Baxter, taking Top Load in particular to huge success. But throughout her career, she's had a close connection to that place where audio meets video, music meets film. Sarah started in the video department at Sony, helping create videos to promote singles. She's also worked as a supervisor, sourcing music for Hollywood films, and she now promotes music published by Concord Music Publishing Group for use in film, television and adverts. In this podcast, Sarah explains what sync is, how it differs in each of film, television and advertising, what music supervisors are looking for, and how to pitch your music to them. This is a highly recommended listen for those of you looking to get your music more widely heard and make some more money by getting it synced. Hello and welcome to this episode of Gigami. My guest today is Sarah Lord, who is Senior Vice President International of Synchronisation and Product Development at Concord Music Publishing. Sarah, when, when I was growing up, you didn't really hear real music on TV and sometimes not really in films. You got a bit of a film score, but any time they did pop music, it, it was sort of a pretend song. Now, I, I find myself using uh, TV films, ads online videos and my friend Shazam whenever there's a piece of new piece of music it's, it's one of the key ways for discovering music that I've not, never heard before and like so I guess I'd like to talk to you about how the music gets into these things before we start perhaps you could just give a little bit of a career path of how you've got to to where you are Absolutely. So I started out, my first job in the industry was working at Sony Music as a temp um, in the video department. Uh, it was when Sony was in Great Marlborough Street and it uh, was meant to be a three-day um, hiring, I believe, of just answering the telephones and helping out and making tea. And I ended up staying there for about a year and a half and it was a really great way to start in the business because it the video department was an impartial service department for the the big labels that sat underneath the Sony umbrella so that was Columbia Epic and S2 Records and so it was it was an excellent way to to learn about you know how everyone gets to where they get to, to at the end result of getting a music video and how important music videos were at that time and maybe that was the first inkling for me of of how music and visual work together um even though they're 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 made for a certain piece of music and and that's the, the it's almost the other way around from sync but it was it was definitely how well the great visual can make a song and vice versa. So I was there for, as I say, almost a couple of years. And there was one band in particular that I've been working with on the video side quite closely, a band called Reef. And we've been traveling around filming them on doing various shows. And, and one day, quite randomly, I thought, they'd asked if I fancied managing them. And with a friend of mine, we started looking after them. And it was fantastic. It was a great in at the deep end. It was just before their second record was released. So they'd made the record and they it was about three months before it was released. And the record went in at number one. And I just thought, oh, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I like being a manager. Of course, it had absolutely nothing to do with me whatsoever. And um, pretty much everything was all in place and had been very well set up by the previous manager and the record companies. But uh, I did learn a huge amount and had a very exciting year also with them when they then decided that they needed a big 
American manager, which made total sense at the time. They wanted to go and crack the US, as, as a lot of UK bands did back then. So we parted company fairly amicably. And they introduced me to a friend of theirs that they'd gone, all gone to college with, who was the guitar player in a brand new band called Top Loader. And I went to see them on their first London show. Uh, it was at a place in Fulham, which name escapes me now, but it was definitely one of those very early days circuit venues. Saw them and thought they were just amazing, was completely blown away, and then started working with them quite soon afterwards and was managing them for just over 10 years. It was an incredible time, an incredible journey. They went from that gig playing to two and a half people to playing at Wembley Stadium, touring around the world. You know, we sold almost, I think, three million records, which when you think about that now is quite phenomenal, those numbers. We had a huge hit with Dancing in the Moonlight. And yeah, it was a, a real, real ride. And it was an incredibly, it was an incredible experience. It really was. Dancing in the Moonlight was everywhere, wasn't it? It was coming out of every shop and car window. It was almost the albatross. It became so synonymous with the band that we almost couldn't do anything else. Certainly not complaining. You know, everybody got to buy a house. The writer of the song, the original writer, sent us a very lovely handwritten note. He wrote the song back in the 60s uh, and he had escaped Hollywood and gone to live on a tuna trawler in Alaska. And he sent us a lovely handwritten note saying, um, thank you so much for covering my song. I've now bought myself a new tuna trawler. That was a very, very lovely, lovely letter to get. After that, the band split up and the lead singer decided that he wanted to have a go as a solo career. I would continue to manage him and we thought that we'd have a go in Los Angeles. So off we went to LA. He and his wife, myself, we packed everything up. Off we went and things didn't quite work out as he wanted them to. So I was sort of not stuck in L.A., but I I needed to find something else to do and was very, very fortunate to have a friend there making a film who needed some music supervision. And that was my first proper entry into the real work of, of putting music to moving images. And it was an incredible experience. Be not the best film in the world, I might not mention it, but it was a really, really great experience. Lots of music in it. It was set in New Orleans, so I had a, a wonderful time discovering a lot of uh, voodoo music, a lot of jazz, a lot of Alan Toussaint and all that kind of stuff. So it, again, a, a really, and I, I, that's when I got the bug, I think. That's when I thought that's something I'd really like to do. But I didn't do too much more. I then came back to the UK and managed Tom Baxter for about five or six years. Uh, we had a record out on EMI. I believe it was the guy Hans time. So I think from the day we signed to six weeks later, none of the people that had signed us were still in employment. Then led me to... Oh, then I took a bit of time out and I had a baby, which was lovely. Um, didn't really work for a couple of years and then decided it was time to get a job job, not be employed, uh, self-employed, sorry, and got the call from, from Amargham as it was then and went to meet John Mentioned and had been at Concord for the last five years now. Can you explain what the word synchronisation means? Synchronisation in the purest sense is the syncing of music to film of attaching a piece of music to a piece of moving image that syncs up, that fits fits to it. And that would be songs, that would be instrumental music and the film score. 
piece of yes, everything that you hear when you're watching something is synchronized. is is has to be licensed and uh, cleared and approved by the person who's created the music in order to fit with the, with the piece of, of visual. I thought we might start by actually sort of stepping into the shoes of the person making the production, who's making the the piece of the piece of film. Just at a very simple level, well, what are they looking to achieve by adding music to their their production? What does music bring? Oh, I think, well, on a, personally, I think music makes the visual. I think that you can use music in so many different ways to heighten a moment, to uh, focus a moment, to juxtapose a moment. It's It really is the icing on the cake. However beautiful a long shot of a gorgeous beach may be if you put some soaring strings behind it it elevates it immediately i think it's intrinsic to any kind of of content one of my favorite things as a music supervisor is sitting in an edit suite with the director and the editor and trying different pieces of music against the set the same scene and seeing how it can completely alter what's going on on screen completely just by putting in a scary piece of music or a romantic piece of music or whatever that may be, it, it, it just changes it. How do they use it? Because in a film or a television series, there's a score, you know, there's underlying instrumental music usually, and then there's often songs dropped in, and then there's kind of funny noises that could be music or could be sound effects. Do, 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 do they plan this or do they just trial and error? How... I think it, it totally depends on the director. It can also, of course, depend on the budget of whatever that that film is a lot of films will be very score driven i.e there's a lot more you know instrumental score than there are there than there is soundtrack so something something like a harry potter is very score driven i would say is that is that right very very score driven. and then something like baby driver for example is incredibly song heavy or pulp fiction that Ta- yeah tarantino exactly the king king of the soundtrack yes absolutely um and when you get films like that the, the music becomes you know gets its own life force almost when you know those songs in in different scenarios when you perhaps might have associated them with certain images are then forever in your mind as something you know something really gory happening in Reservoir Dogs with a very upbeat song playing behind it he was he was the, the king of that for sure yeah, I was reading an interview today about, you know, musicians turning down use of music in a film. And I think David Bowie famously turned down the use of, I think it was Golden Years, in, in um, Train Spotting, the scene when they're smashing up the toilets. <laughs> and he didn't want the music to be associated with that. But that would have made a fantastic scene, I think. Absolutely. I, I think there was definitely a tipping point where, certainly in advertising, maybe more than film, where it was not deemed cool at all to have your music selling a product and then there was a a huge sea change and now it's you know there are very very few artists who don't like their music used for synchronization very very few and you've got to be pretty confident to be turning it down because obviously it's a very good source of income as well absolutely and 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 we found is if you if you get a piece of music synced you you can you can get a sort of a hit springboard it certainly drives the profile of the of the of the artist and the writer yes Shazam as 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 and you know Spotify playlists etc have really really helped with that. It's it's such a major certainly with a new artist. It's such a major part of trying to break them now. Subtle differences or very crude differences between the different types of films. So you know video. So there's film. There's there's um, TV series. There's ads. Is music used differently in each typically? Oh, absolutely. I'd say yeah. I'd say music for commercials is 
generally, not blanket, of course, but generally upbeat, positive messages, lyrically having to fit with the brand, what the brand is trying to sell. Um, and normally in this day and age requiring a quite well-known song in order to, to help with the campaign. Um, music for film and TV is a lot freer. It's a, there's, it's a lot looser. It's much more creative, I suppose you could say, to be able to put together a sound, especially with the, you know, us being in the golden age of, of TV series at the moment, with all these shows from, you know, uh, I May Destroy You to, you know, the the normal people, all those kind of shows that just, you know, they really can go to town. And the soundtrack is such a big part of the marketing for that as well now. So commercials are probably much more, much more lucrative. You get paid a lot more money as, a, as an artist, as a writer on a on a advert. But the TV and film area is where you get to, as a supervisor, get to have a bit more freedom. They're making a piece of film and they want some music. How do how do the producers go about finding it? So um, generally, there will be a middleman, which is normally a music supervisor um, or a producer on the show, that will send out a brief. Well, either two ways. One is they'll know exactly what they want and they'll go directly to the publisher to request it. And that will go to our licensing department and the licensing department will then contact the writer and see if there's a way to approve that and negotiate the fees etc etc or they'll send a brief of what they are looking for to our um, sync team who will then go through the catalogue and see what they have that fits as, as carefully as possible with what the brief is so whether it's a scene from a film that's you know it's a funeral and they need something evocative and and emotional and slightly dark with a with no vocal but with uh, perhaps a, a choral element etc or whether it's a pampers commercial and they want something really bright and bubbly and upbeat and dynamic and that sort of has certain words in it that we have to hit so you know they might want the word togetherness in there or the words light or love or whatever it may be and then our team will go through the catalogue pick a selection and send them those those songs sometimes we'll get the film to match it up so sometimes they'll send us what the creative is so whether it is the scene from the film or a rough version of the advert so we can try ourselves to to fit our catalogue to that but some, generally, it's just a written brief which we then have to fulfil. Just, just to clarify, so you represent the song side of things. How does this work? Because <laughs> you don't own the recordings, do you? How, how, how do, how do, if you're agreeing that uh, Tarantino can use one of your songs in the film, what happens to the recording? How do they get the recording? So, as the supervisor or whoever the client may be, whether that's the film producer or the client at an advertising agency or the music supervisor they will have to contact both sides of the um, song so every song is is split into a master and a publishing so it's two sides and both sides have to be approved so the people that write the song have the publishing and the people that own the recording of that song have the master so whenever you're composing writing a song or whenever you're if you're starting out as a recording artist if you want to perform your own songs then you potentially have to clear both sides of it so if something is 
if the song is worth a pound, let's say, obviously no song is worth just a pound, it's worth lots more than that. But if a song is worth a pound, you can split it up that 50p of that is the master side of it and 50p of that is the publishing. Sometimes you can have, um, so if you've got a big song, let's say um, a Daft Punk song, and the sometimes the publishing is worth is a bit of a strange word but sometimes you negotiate more for the publishing than you do for the master um because that's the the side that goes to the to the writer if they want to use songs do you um do your writers write um bespoke for for, for any productions so if if they don't have one in their back you know in their catalog they will write one specifically to the brief absolutely so we do lots and lots of um bespoke briefs for for our clients so they'll come to us and say you know we need this type of of mood we need this type of lyric especially and we have a lot of writers um particularly out of nashville who are making incredibly good careers just writing for sync so they will they, they have a knack for creating songs that that sit very very well on adverts and they will whip something up, you know, that's quite normally quite short ter- um, turnaround time. So they will have to be able to whip something up quite quickly, get it back to us. Um, sometimes we get productions or clients coming to us that want that they'll do a demo fee for something. So they'll want to hear a song like A, B and C, and they'll go to five or six different writers who will demo something up and get paid a, a, you know, a few hundred quid for doing that with the hope that they will then get chosen to then make the, so- the, the song properly. Who, who will pay them for doing the demo? The client will pay them for doing the demo. So, they, so they'll, say, they'll come to us and they'll say, we can't use the Beatles. Um, we don't have that budget. We've got this budget, but we like the sentiment of this song and we like the three key words that are in this song, love, optimism and you know, whatever it may be. And can you come up with something that fits? And they, at that point, they, they may as well show um, what the type of kind of advert that it is. And we'll then go to some of our writers that we know can write quickly and can turn things around quickly and understand the request of the client. And for that, they'll get paid a demo fee with, with the, the aim of being chosen to then record the song properly. I guess you're in competition because the, the music supervisors are probably looking at more than one publisher and more than one record company for their music. Absolutely. I mean, that is, you know, the biggest part of our job is making sure that we're heard. You know, there's a lot of music out there and there's a lot of music being written for, for sync every single day. And the key for all of us is to make sure that that you know that those supervisors want to work with us. So it doesn't. It's not just about obviously the music is absolutely intrinsically the most important thing, but it's also about whether the writer is amenable, whether they are quick, whether they can listen to direction, um, whether they're you know nice people to work with. All of those things do go in, into the mix as well. And, and I guess it's whether you are as well as as, as the sync agent. Yeah. Yes, it's, you know, it's the sync teams, it's a sales position. You know, there's no, you know, it's a very creative position and it's a, it's a creative environment, but you're ultimately, you are against the competition, of course. And there is just so much music now. So it's, it's harder and harder and harder to, to make a noise, I think. 
Do you, do you look after um, score composers as well? We do. Um, on the Boozy and Hawks classical side, uh, we have a, a, a variety of composers. Um, some of them are based in Los Angeles, some in New York, uh, London, Berlin. Uh, we try to not just have composers whose sole work is score work because it's such a tough world out there. And, you know, we like them if they can if they want to write a ballet, we'd like to support them if they want to, you know, write an opera, et cetera, et cetera. But yes, we have score composers as well. It's not our main core business. And, and But they, they tend to be a different uh, sort of stream of, of writers than the people who are writing the songs. Absolutely. Although there are a lot of people that can do both. There's, you know, people in the Johnny Greenwood camp who, you know, who from Radiohead who can do that, but then also has, has carved out a really amazing career as, as a film score composer. Does Concord have any production libraries? They're an, kind of another source, aren't they? Or another source. We are actually in the process of launching a classical production library. We've just launched a a library of one-stop classical music, which is our copyrighted music that we have masters for, which is about a thousand pieces. And um, and we'll we'll just be doing the same with uh, with non-copyright works, which will be about five thousand later on this year. Your music via publisher and record is not only competing with other people's music that's similar but it's also competing with with what's called library music or production music which which is where as you've just said it's where the recording the master is 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 cleared for use already and the song the the underlying copyright in the song is cleared so if you're making a video you can just say can i have that bit of music that bit of music that bit of music and it usually costs a bit less doesn't it it's it's usually very economic one could say it's cheap <laughs> it's cheap they could but that's just just for the landscape yeah that's just for the landscape so yes that it means that the the effect of that is is that the competition is even greater and of course as budgets do tend to go down as there's more and more content made and more and more music to choose from it's the commercial music as it's as it's known is is sometimes left on the in the background because of the production music a bit the production music library's ability to 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 fit the budget when when you're when you're sort of talking to the music supervisors is is there a is there a price list how how do you determine price there's no rate card in commercial music there's so many things that it depends on um if it's a film it depends on where the film is going to be shown it depends on what the overall budget of the film is it depends on how long um, a film may be, if it's going to be in theatrical release or if it's just going to be on a streaming platform. Obviously, the pandemic has thrown a lot of that into confusion, but ultimately there are a lot of different variants, and especially with commercials, even more so. How long is it going to be on telly? Is it just going to be online and on YouTube? Is it going to be shown in the cinemas? Is it going to be shown in every single territory in the world? Or is it going to be geolocked to a certain area? Is it just going to be in Asia? Is it going to be in English? All of those things. How long is it going to be on the TV for? All of those things depend. will have a, a direct impact on what the price is that we quote for usage. If it's the title song of a series and it's used repeatedly, or if it's something that's played on a jukebox in a bar in for 30 seconds in a scene, there will be variations that way as well. Exactly. And you see how when a series comes back, if it's been used as the title track, we just had a, we had a No Wonder, one of our artists, No Wonder, had a, a closing title in the series called The Unforgotten. And it's gone in the top 10 in Shazam because it's come back 
So and that license was done four years ago. Well, I have to say, I shazammed it. <laughs> so I'm I'm one of the people that shazammed it. I watched that last night. Yeah. <laughs> it it works. It definitely works. It, you know, it can really have a, a huge effect on an on an artist's career. Given you know, if it's the right place at the right time, we, you know, you, I'm sure people that are listening will have watched Love Island and seen how. Some people's careers are are properly launched by a certain usage and a certain key key scene, um, and that even though that may not have made made them that much money from because it's blanket license usage, which we can get into if you'd like. I think it's probably worth just explaining that that's to do with TV and and TV through uh, particular channels, isn't it? Yes. So terrestrial television, um, which is the BBC. ITV Channel 4 um, have something with the uh, performing rights societies and not just in the UK in lots of countries in Europe as well whereby they have something called a blanket license so they agree with all the publishers a certain amount of money that they are going to give to the publishers to divide up uh, for a usage on any of their TV shows so when you see on the BBC a Led Zeppelin track for example used on as a promo for Match of the Day, um, is Match of the Day on BBC One? It is indeed, yes. Then <laughs> they don't have to go to the Led Zeppelin uh, publishers and ask for permission. Permission has already been granted for that usage. Um, the fees of that are not going to buy you a house, but the exposure obviously is still very, very good. And so certainly things like Made in Chelsea, and Love Island, etc., are great platforms for new and emerging bands to to find an audience. It would be impractical for both the BBC and the publishers to deal with the amount of the volume of of licenses that would be required. Although you say that in the US, that's exactly what happens. So, and you get paid a lot more. So, it, in fact, TV usage in the US is is very very lucrative, and a, a slot on a usage on Grey's Anatomy or This Is Us or whatever can can reap you quite well as a, as a young writer and they do love using new music as well so those are those are great great things to get do you do that through a team that's based out in America or do you do that out of the UK uh, no we do that we have uh, our core licensing team is based in Nashville um, and then we have a sync team in Los Angeles that that service all the music supervisors there can we just step back then into into a musician's shoes? Yes. Basic question is how do they go about getting their music into productions? Does does it does it have to come through a music publisher? No, absolutely not. I mean, I th- I think with the advent of social media, with the advent of SoundCloud, with the advent of of TV shows being a lot more open about how they find their music and with music supervisors having a bit more of a profile over the last few years and them positively seeking out new music that it's a lot it's not easy it's never easy to get a sync but it's easier to contact the people and to to make some sort of inroad into at least them listening to it than it ever has been before I think the the the, the best advice I think is is to watch tv (laughs) um see who the music supervisors are and find them and 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 send your music in i think that's the the it's you know it sounds so easy but that is the best and most effective thing to do and that's just looking through the credits at the end of the 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 show 
absolutely just looking through the credits, seeing who they are, tracking them down on you know their social media or wherever it may be. And and you know, lots lots of supervisors do panels. Lots of supervisors do you know are quite open because they really want to find new music. They love finding something, discovering something, and setting you know setting it on its way. It's one of the perks of being a supervisor that you get to to play with all this amazing new music. Music supervisors are, are, are the most sort of sought after people in the world as far as music you know, synchronization goes. Of course they are because they it's ultimately it's their choice or it's certainly their choice to put in front of the director or the editor or the client if it's an, if it's an advert. You've got a sync team working around the world and, and so, so do we and, and so do the, the major publishers and the record labels. But are, are there independent sync people that... that you know, if, if you would, if you were setting up a, a do-it-yourself, your own label, your own publishing, where you outsource a lot of the admin, are you able to outsource sync? Are there other independent sync agents? There are quite a few now, I'd say, independent sync agents. There's a, a, a lot out there. I would say my advice would be that if you are approaching them to t- two things, you, you want them to have obviously good contacts with the supervisors. That's a kind of given you want to make sure that they do know the supervisor on Grey's Anatomy that they do know people that actually work and are making making these jobs happen so so it's worth actually I mean doing a bit of research yourself absolutely finding some key shows (laughs) that if they don't if they don't know the music supervisors on those be very skeptical about them absolutely I'd have your your key three or four names of people that you you know that you want to try and target that you think if you write very beautiful soft gentle, soaring um, ballads that you know would work really well on a Grey's Anatomy montage, then you need to know that that Alex, who is the supervisor on that show, that your sync agent knows them, that they know her and that they're able to contact her or someone in her team, because that's going to appeal if you, if you feel that, that. And that's why I say watching TV is the best homework you can do, not only to see the credits, but also just to hear what is being used. And you'll see, you know, you'll see themes. You'll see that, you know, adverts do generally have upbeat, positive, normally female vocals, um, normally with words like togetherness, etc. in them. You'll see that Grey's Anatomy does have a style of music. So and you'll start to, to pick up on those trends. And if you're particularly keen on writing for sync, then you might look at what you're writing and, and adapt that somehow. Um, my other comment about sync agents is you want to make sure that they're busy, but that they're not so busy that your music isn't going to be a priority for them, that they haven't got so many other artists that they're looking after, so many other songwriters on their books that actually you might not get a look in. There's some, you know, there's some people that just say yes to absolutely everything and then you may never know whether you're being pitched or not. And there's some that are really selective and will only take on a few things, but properly, properly work those those writers, those writers. How would you find that out? You ask them. I mean, if you're if you're approaching them on 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 email or social media, and you you know you they've got a website or whatever, and you can see what other catalogs that they represent, um, and then you can ask them. Would you expect to pay them up front? No, absolutely not. If they want if they want to take your money, they're not kosher. How long does it take to get a sink? Is is if there was a formula, then I wouldn't be here. There is no one, two, three of how to get a sync. And it certainly most likely will never be in line with when you want it to be. So it's very rare that you'll get 
an album coming out, the single comes out on the Friday, and that following Monday, you'll have a Guinness advert. It's very, very, very rare that that happens. Um, you know, we can be working something for three or four years. In fact, we were working one of our new young signings who did a cover of one of our old catalogue songs for us three and a half years ago, and we just got it synced last year. And it's done phenomenally well. It went to the top five in, in Ireland, where she's from. The advert got renewed again and again and again. Um, just had millions of, you know, Shazams and millions of YouTube views, etc. Um, but that was three and a half years. It didn't, you know, we knew that the song was going to work. We knew that lyrically it had a place. We were confident, but it takes a long, long time. Or it can happen immediately. And that's... That's the problem is that it, it syncs don't necessarily fit because a creative doesn't care about a release date or a tour coming up or anything like that. A creative just cares about whether the music fits the piece of moving image and that is when it ends. If you're DIYing this and, and working with a sync agent, it comes down to do you believe that that agent is working your material even if there aren't the results at this point or not and then are you able to get out of the relationship if you if you would like to try somebody else i think it's probably important having an ability to get out of a, a contract with an agent absolutely i mean the, the the difficulty on that side from the agent's point of view is that to play into exactly what i just said it can take a long time and it's sometimes it's about setting the groundwork sometimes it's about introducing you as the artist and the writer to the supervisors to the ad agencies it can take time. There, there are stories, of course, of I wrote this on a Friday and on the Saturday it was on, you know, whatever, it was on Saturday Morning Chef or whatever it's called. You know, th th that does happen. Of course it does. But it also can take years and years and years. And so sync agents can be and should rightly be, if they're putting in the hours, slightly sceptical about someone that goes, well, six months in, you haven't done anything for me, I'm off. And you may find then that it's harder to get another sync agent because they'll see that you didn't hang around and let them do their work. So it's a little bit chicken and egg. You are entitled as the writer to ask, to ask. you know, you're allowed to ask for feedback. You're allowed to, you know, to say, has so-and-so heard my music? My mantra to all, whenever we sign a new songwriter, my spiel is I absolutely guarantee you that the right people will hear your music. You know, we are good enough and well-respected enough and thorough enough in our jobs to make sure that they will hear your music. I absolutely cannot guarantee that they will use it. And that is that is the truth for any agent, for any publisher, for any record company, sync teams. It's, you know, we're good at our jobs because we know the people that need to listen to it and the people that can make it happen. But ultimately, it's, you know, I've had tracks that are absolutely 100% going to be used Everyone, you know, the deal's been approved, the writer's approved it, the client loves it, and then something will happen overnight. Maybe the client's teenage daughter has decided that she, you know, that daddy should use something else in his advert, and before you know it, it's out the door. So it's it, it's really, it's a, it's a, it can be quite a frustrating position being that middle person. A, you know, a lot of our time is taken, in the normal world, is taken up with, you know, taking our clients out, making sure they come to the shows, meeting new writers, finding opportunities for the performers to play for them sometimes, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's a huge, huge part. You know, marketing and promotion of our catalogue is, I'd say, 
maybe even more than the actual creative sometimes. I just want to say one more thing about if you are doing it DIY, that, you know, generally, and if you don't want to get a sync agent, is that, you know, if you're if you're proud of your music and sure that it has something that is syncable, then I guess we'll get on to what that actually means. You know, these people can be approached. You know, they obviously get besieged with music all the time. But if you're if you're doing it yourself, there's there's nothing to stop you sending your 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 music in a in a nice link. And if you are going to do that, always make sure that it's registered properly. Always make sure that it's registered at PPL. Always make sure that there are instrumentals attached. And always make sure that there's a clean version if there's any swearing. Those are my those are my four top uh, beefs that when we get sent music from our writers that they don't if they don't do. So those are four very important things. Okay, so I get the clean version. What what's the instrumentals? A lot of the time you'll you'll hear a song. Um, you'll hear the, the the music behind the song without the vocals on there. Um, so so clients so supervisors love to have instrumental versions as well. So just the backing track basically. Great tip. It's a nice bridge as well because my next question is, you know, what are you, what are you looking for in a piece of music? What makes it syncable? I'd say that that is almost an unanswerable question. Although there are definitely trends, and again, I would say watch telly. The more telly you watch, the more you will start to see patterns. A few years ago, there was a Levi's commercial with a lot of people dancing. I don't know if anyone remembers it. It was about three years ago by an artist called Jane, J-A-I-N. It sparked a trend, without a doubt, in adverts, which is still probably going on, which is very percussive, a sort of some kind of vocal hook, a yeah or a hey-ho or something like that, and a steady, a steady quite fast-paced beat. And if you listen to that song and then you watch a load of other adverts, you'll start to see that pattern. There's also trailers, which are another huge part, which we haven't really touched on, which are a huge part of synchronization, which are, again, you'll see that it's, if you listen to and watch enough trailers for movies that, you know, you can sit on YouTube all day and watch trailers for movies and you can start to see that they start very quiet and they're generally orchestral and then there may be a build and build and a build and then a huge great big break where there may be a soaring vocal that comes over the top um, and then it goes very quiet again. That is very trailer-esque music. You'll see, I know I keep mentioning it, but Grey's Anatomy, you'll see a trend there, you know, acoustic acoustic guitar, um, you know, quite clear, um, sort of very uh, generally quite emotional vocals, generally about leaving people or saying goodbye, etc., etc. So you'll start to see that there are trends. But going back to Reservoir Dog, Dogs, Stuck in the Middle with You for on, on that scene where they're chopping everybody up is complete juxtaposition. So there's that that is, makes it syncable, potentially, if it's, if it's the right visual. There's no real answer to it, I'm afraid. There's no secret source that I can just, you know, relay that will help you. It's, it's, it's all very, very subjective. You talk very well about, you know, how you work with the music. Is there, is there um, anything or any tips that you would suggest to a musician about how uh, they could make your life easier when they're working with you? When they're working with us, I mean, I, I think that the, the four things I just I mentioned were, were definitely links that have, can be downloaded... Um, I mean, on very practical terms, um, links that can be t- downloaded. If you are an independent and you don't have a record deal, 
um, to make sure that everything is properly registered at PPL. Otherwise, it can't be sent through to um, anyone that's for the blanket license, so it can't be used on the BBC, etc. Um, backing track, i.e. instrumental, clean versions. Those are things on the really just, you know, this is what, if you can give all that in a, in a nice clean package, potentially with a link to a website or a social media, something, you know, a bit of, a bit of information about you, that will always be very helpful. Um, musically, if you are writing, you know, if you've been given a brief and you are writing to that brief, or if you want to start doing that yourself, if you want to be watching a TV show and think, okay, well, I'm going to try my hand at writing something like that, is really listening and being open to direction, I think, a lot of the time. Um, one of the reasons I, I believe that the that the the Lyra cover that I mentioned earlier that, that did so well three and a half years later was that when we were when she was recording it, she was so open to, you know, she'd never done any sync work at all. You know, she she didn't have it, didn't really understand what sync was before she signed with us. And she was so open to the whole team's input into how to make this song particularly right because the lyrics were already there it's called new day and at the moment of course it you know it works perfectly with what's going on in the world but she was very very um willing to listen to input and that made us feel that we were very invested in that which not only the the result was was so positive and, and worked so well but we also felt that we had a, a big part in it and wanted it to succeed as well I think it's always good to try and put the musician in the mind of the people that are representing them. Could you just talk a little bit about the business model of, of, a, of the sync department of a publisher? You know, how, how do you make your, your money? How we make our money is um, when the deal is negotiated with the composer or writer, the percentage of what the sync team, the sync department would take um, on any job that we land will be negotiated and then that will be will will then filter down into our work so if you are going to be getting a sync for 20 quid you might negotiate depending on what kind of writer you are depending on how open you are to writing for sync depending on how good your lawyer is you may negotiate you know that five pounds of that will go to the sync team or two pounds of that will go to the sync team or you know whatever it may be that's that's all down at the, when you first do your deal with your publisher and that will be you know against your your advance if you get one um, that has to be recouped before you make any more money from that if you put something in a in a film or in a tv show when it's when it's that's that's to put the music in the show that's to license them to use it and then if it's replayed you you collect you collect money in other ways don't you as a... then you have secondary um ways of forms of income um, which we collect on your behalf. Um, so whether that is, like you say, uh, repeats, whether that is YouTube streams, whether that means it goes into a playlist and that's um, on Spotify or Apple, etc. Um, all different ways that whenever it's basically used again, there is another form of income and we collect that on your behalf and, and then take a, a percentage for, for the pleasure of doing so. Sync agents will typically do the first bit of, of licensing the music, but they won't do the collection of, of the money for you. It's why it's so important as a songwriter that you do make sure that everything is registered. And that is on, and that is on you. If, if you're doing it DIY, 
you must make sure that everything on MCPS, PRS, PPL, that everything is registered, that all the metadata that is required is all in there. Because then you can find that, you know, a few years down the line, it might have been, you know, the TV show might have been played 12 times in Lithuania and that's some money for you. That's why it's so, so, and it's quite boring. But my other tip from if I put my manager's hat on again is is that all of these societies, all of these institutions are very helpful and it is a lot easier now because everything is, is digital. And if, if it's if it's overwhelming, there are you know definitely websites and tutorials and and seminars that you can attend that will explain it all a lot to you and people sometimes even on the an actual person on the end of a telephone who will also be able to talk you through it but it is that we i just want to make that point not to use um sarah because you know it but it's it's a sort of twofold thing you license your music into a piece of into a production tv film ad and that's great but there's more money out there and you've got to be registered to get that money. And what a publisher brings is they do that for you. Um, they do the collection and the sync. I've got one, one last question. Have you noticed anything that successful musicians do when you work with any of them? So any good habits or attitudes, etc., that up and coming musicians could learn and benefit from? Just be nice. <laughs> I know that sounds really simple, but I think it goes a long, long way. Be open, be punctual, be responsive and be receptive, I think. Um, I know they're all quite vague, far-reaching qualities, but they will stand you in exceptionally good stead. When you're on the outside looking in, I've not been a musician, but I wanted to work in the music industry. And you look at it and you think it's this big thing you know, faceless, impersonal. And all it is, it's made up of lots and lots of people. And your relationship with those people is absolutely key. If they like working with you, they make a lot of excuses to do so. Totally. It is, in, without a doubt, the most relationship-based business that I've, you know, even more so than film, I think. It, it really, really is. And, and, it's, and it's also a pretty supportive business if you're a good person. So I, I think it's, you know, I, I know that, that it's, a, you know, it, it's the old hippie in me, I'm afraid, Dave, but I do think that it, it does go a huge, it goes a long, long, long way. And you can bake that into the way you approach people as well. You know, if, if you're, if you're aggressive, if you're arrogant, would you want to deal with somebody who's, who's, who's like that? No, absolutely not. And I think that element of it is, is also on its way out as well so I, I think you know it's it's just it doesn't it doesn't hurt to say please and thank you that all and I know this sounds so it's oversimplified but it's it's really is the key of just being a good human I think that's a great thing and a great way to end so thank you Sarah so much for um, your time and I, th I think there's some fantastic nuggets in there as well thank you very much no not a problem at all not a problem thank you Thank you to all of my guests who have taken the time to talk with me, and thank you for listening. I'd also like to thank Miles D, who has written and recorded the Gigami theme music. And as ever, if you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, if you have any questions, or if you just want to get in touch with me, go to gigami.co. That is G-I-G-O-M-I dot C-O. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. <laughs>